Hello and welcome to the second season of Genetically Speaking, the podcast for the American Society of Human Genetics, where we explore the human stories behind human genetics and genomics research. I'm your host, Chris Gunter. Today's paper was nominated by my fellow ASHG committee members, and it's titled An Epilepsy-Associated ACTL-6B Variant Captures Neuronal Hyperexcitability in a Human-Induced Pluripotent Stem Cell Model. Whew. I am pleased to welcome the first and last authors of this lovely paper, Lucy Ann and Helen Miranda, both at Case Western Reserve University. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having us. I mentioned by email that I think I did my postdoc in the same exact building where y'all are based. So I feel like yeah, we're already. So that's <laughs> awesome. Um, so can you give us some of the background on why you chose to focus on studying this gene and, and specifically this one variant? Um, yeah, I guess we have to go back and say how this work actually began. So um, this was a very good example of a true collaboration, um, a true collaborative project, because uh, it was a, a collaboration between my lab and, and the Schaefer lab. Ashley Schaefer is the other co-corresponding author. And the co-first authors are Lucy, who's here with me, who is actually a trainee in the Schaefer lab. And, and Juliana, who is a postdoc, who was a postdoc in my lab. And um, Ashley and I have been talking about collaborating for a while. Um, I got the invitation to uh, submit a manuscript for a special issue at Journal of Neuroscience Research. And I contacted Ashley and asked her if she had um, ideas or pos possible projects that she was interested in, in working on together. And she, at the same time, was actually contacted by one of our collaborators, and they identified this very interesting uh, variant in one of the families that they were uh, assessing with this uh, syndrome called uh, early infantile epileptic encephalopathy. And um, so we came together and we thought that this would be a very interesting gene. Um, it's a gene that is actually uh, very relevant to neurodevelopment. Um, if, if it's part of a chromatin remodeling complex. Um, and this specific variant was novel. Uh, he had just published these findings in this specific family. So we thought it was going to be a good opportunity for us to, to work on this together and tackle this, this gene and try to identify possible phenotypes in vitro. That's great. So did the study go as you expected it to? What do you think, Lucy? <laughs> I'm sure everyone knows the expected answer is like yes and no, or more likely no. But I think overall, given that we had a very specific question that we wanted to answer, and it was a reasonably like concise project, since we had like a time limitation, since it was for a specific issue, we I do believe it went overall smoothly, but there were optimizations that was required. For example, because of the given timeline that we had, we wanted to use this like expedited protocol where you differentiate fibroblasts, like patient-derived fibroblasts to neurons directly. But then we realized that's not the ideal protocol. So we ended up taking more traditional route of differentiating them over like longer time periods. So things like that, we had definitely had to like optimize and then modify our plans a little bit. But I think overall it was a very efficient yeah, project, I yeah. Think. I think we just optimized a few of the techniques. Uh, when we were reviewing or revising the manuscript, um, we actually decided we wanted to do the cyclohexamide study um, to assess the protein stability. 
And we usually do that between zero and 12 hours time point for that, you know, experiment. And we realized pretty early that this was not varying. We moved to 24 hours and there was still no change in the protein. And we went back to the literature and we actually found out that uh, several proteins actually have a, a larger half-life in neurons uh, specifically compared to other cell types. So we went back to the drawing board and we extended the, the um, timeline of the experiment. And in the end, um, it's what it shows in the paper. So it worked out well. The overall uh, goal at the end was to model in vitro these uh, findings that the patients have these abnormalities in their, their EEG uh, results, right? Uh, the electroencephalogram. And um, in order to do that, in vitro, we wanted to use uh, the uh, electrophysiology assays that we do in our lab, which is this multi-electrode array uh, system. And that was a very happy day in the lab when we saw that these patients were actually behaving like we hypothesized in the beginning of the process. So um, in the end, it, the, it did turn out uh, the way we, we expected. I was going to ask you about that when I was reading your paper to get ready mm -hmm. to interview you, I, as I, I made the shifts kiss gesture upon getting to that part where you basically <laughs> said the, neuro, the, the uh, neurons with the, the uh, variant protein exactly acted as you expected. So it must have been happy. Was there celebration then when you got those results? Oh, yes, for sure. We were, we were very excited. I mean, we had a short timeline to submit the paper, but um, e even in the submission, because it was uh, a special issue, uh, submission process, uh, the revision process actually came like right at the beginning of the pandemic. So that delayed, you know, the revision um, a little bit. But from beginning to end, it was uh, a somewhat short process. And at the end, we were very excited and we did celebrate. Um, we did a virtual celebration. Yeah. That's what we're all doing now, right? That's how it is, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Although hopefully we're, we can come back soon and be in person, but yeah. So what I implications, I know this is a study of one variant, which is presumably in one patient, although there may be more than one out there, but what's, what do you think this says about human and genetics, human genetics and genomics research at large? Did you learn anything that you think others can take away? I think, uh, yeah, so uh, we did use uh, prior literature and prior research that modeled um, epileptic um, disorders in using these induced pluripotent stem cells uh, and differentiating them into neurons. And I think ours just come to complement that, that body of work that um, emphasizes how these, uh, these in vitro um, phenotypes that we identified. So our hope is that in, uh, in the future, we, we can use these phenotypes as platform for uh, compound screening, right, for the drug screening, um, so we can help these patients and alleviate these patients in the future. So I think as a field, we are moving towards this uh, personalized medicine where we find these phenotypes in different variants and we want to correct them in vitro and use these drugs to possibly alleviate um, patients' uh, symptoms and phenotypes. Um, we don't necessarily have to correct everything that is wrong with the cell, but you often want to correct what the phenotype shows and the phenotype that is more relevant to the disease, right? Um, so that's, um, I think that's our contribution with that. So we show that we can reproduce that in vitro, we can recapitulate this phenotype, um, from from the patients in vitro in the future we want to use that as a tool 
uh, for drug screening. And there are presumably other conditions that may result from proteins that have a similar mechanism, right, that you saw with this variant. Correct. Yes. Like we've done before for um, other proteins that had similar um, phenotypes or similar symptoms in the patients. Mm -hmm. So you used a technique that I wasn't familiar with, not being an electrophysiologist, which is the MEA. You mentioned the multi-electrode delay. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that a new technique or has that been around? Yeah, I mean, it's been around for a couple of years now. And um, it's the advantage of using a, well, first, I should say it's, it stands for a multi-electrode array um, system. So the advantage to the systems is that um, unlike the patch clamping where you have to patch individual neurons, you actually have the assessment of the uh, actual potential of individual neurons as well as their propagation across the network. Um, so you can assess and you can assess that in multiple time points. So what we do um, is essentially, you know, these uh, trainees <laughs> differentiate these cells in vitro. They uh, plate them um, in these MEA plates, which are essentially multi-well uh, plates that have the multi-electrode arrays embedded uh, at the bottom of, the, of each well. And you can just grow them like you grow in every other um, dish. So while we grow them, we also put them in our machine, the one that we have in our lab. And these machines record the electrophysiology, so we can do that over time, which is what we do with what we did for um, for this paper. Um, so yeah, it's it, it was it's beneficial because um, for this one you also have um, 24, 48, up to 96 well uh, plate settings. So that can all, that per se can also serve as uh, a future platform for drug screening. Yeah, that's cool. So I know, Helen, I saw that you were on Twitter, and Lucy, I don't know if you are on social media or not, but did y'all do any science communication around this paper? How did that go? Well, Helen is the expert <laughs> in Twitter and communications in science, especially, like, personally, Ashley and I do not have Twitters. All we did is, like, celebrating and sharing our news to our department. And I am in, at CASES, MSTP, MD-PhD dual degree program, so we did I did share the news through the MSTP Twitter, not Twitter, Instagram handle, but she, Helen's the main lady who <laughs> takes in charge of celebrations and sharing the good news. Yeah, I did share that, uh, that paper on Twitter. And um, we often do that because we want to put forward the people that actually did the work, right? So um, in this case, none of the other <laughs> first authors or, or corresponding authors have uh, Twitter handles. But um, I did post it there. I also um, shared on LinkedIn, um, where I'm also quite active. Uh, and for that one specifically, I also posted on Facebook just because I know the other co-first author, um, Juliana, is more active on LinkedIn, so I wanted to, you know, show the her work and and the things that she did. Um, so um, it was quite well received, and and later, um, a couple of months later, I was actually contacted by another collaborator from Brazil, um, from where I came from, and she is um, looking forward to do something similar with a different gene and a different variant. So we are. You're starting a possible collaboration now from that, you know, share from that, you know, science communication that we did around this, 
That's great. Yeah, it's already seeding new research. And I want to point out, since this is not a video podcast for everyone, that Helen is drinking from a Wonder Woman mug. So that seems to be keeping with the whole thing. So, <laughs> so Lucy, tell Always. us as a trainee, what did this process teach you about research that you'll take with you into your career? It sounds like you're getting a dual degree, which is great. Well, there are so many things I learned because I do think it was a very like valuable and precious learning experiences for a junior student because at that time I was in my first two years in med school. So I was like part-timing the lab. So that kind of pushed, like balancing med school and like lab work kind of pushed me to be efficient with my time and be smart about planning experiments. And this project was unique in a sense that we had a very specific goal in hand and in mind. So that also like encouraged us to be more efficient and like be more prompt about the communication because we had not only had the timeline that we and deadline that we wanted to meet, but also had specific goals in our head and mind. But also I definitely learned the importance of having a great collaborators and team members, especially during the pandemic when we were going through revisions early in pandemic, I think I would have struggled so much more if I hadn't worked with Helen and Ashley and Juliana. It was such an empowering like like work environment to work with these like smart scientists, like female scientists, that's very important for me. So I think overall I learned not only about the importance of being efficient and smart about science, approaching science and scientific questions, but also the value of like working with like like-minded yeah, scientists. That's great. Yeah. And so where do you plan to go next in your career? I am first year in grad school. So I guess the immediate step will be graduating. But my thesis project is like slightly different from this actl 6 b gene, but it's like similar in a sense that I am also interested in studying another rare disease. So my goal as of now, so like learn more and dig more deeper into that different disease. And hopefully I'll move forward from there. Right now I'm just trying to get my project. That's great. Online. And this was your first paper that you submitted? Yeah. So did you have the experience mm -hmm. of getting really mad about the reviews and having to have your advisors calm you down and everything? I always tell people to wait at least 24 hours before they put anything in writing because you're going to say stuff you don't want to say. You need to sleep on it. Was right. that you? I think for me, because everything was new to cool. me, I was more excited. Good, good. Than good. Mad. <laughs> Throughout the process, I think like our PIs were the ones who were like frustrated <laughs> on our behalf. I was like excited to like do ex like learn new technique, do experiments yeah. and get the results. And even if the results were negative, I was still excited to see the results <laughs> and be part of writing, even though our first draft was very bad. <laughs> Helen and Ashley was so generous and understanding and they basically helped us rewrite it so many times. So it was a fun journey for me. I don't know if Helen would have been great. It was very important for, for both Ashley and I that um, they would get the training on the writing part too because we know that that's not often the case. Um, sometimes you, you know, you hear where they get the results and you have, you know, some mentors write the paper on their own and we felt like we felt strongly that they should have the training on writing too and experience the whole process um so they both did a great job that's really great to hear so and yeah. helen what new research are you pursuing right now my lab focused on studying the pathophysiology of neurodegenerative diseases 
Um, so we mostly focus on motor neuron diseases. Um, I saw that you have done some work with Fragile X. So we actually work on another repeat expansion disease called yeah, spinal yeah. bulbar muscular atrophy, right, SBMA. So we do a lot of work on that. And we also work on um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Um, so those are the main um, uh, projects in the lab. We have um, graduate students working on those, uh, but we often do collaborations with interesting genes and things that we find exciting um, with other. That's great. Such as this paper. Well, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a joy to have you here and congratulations on your paper. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. It was great.